Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey everyone, PA here, Pastor Adam Bird, and thanks so much to tuning into our Every Nation channel. I got news for you, man. God has got a word for you uh, today. And so if you've been tracking with us, we're in week two of a 26-week series we've just called The ABCs of Faith, a, a Biblical Worldview. And last week we began with A, the atonement, and this week we're going to tackle the letter B, and B stands for, you guessed it, Bible. Bible. Hey, but before we get into the talk, let me uh, uh, just just kind of frame everything out with a uh, some words from a gentleman by the name of Philip Morrow. You may not have heard of Philip Morrow. He actually lived in the early 1900s, but fascinating life. Philip Morrow was the Forrest Gump of his uh, day and time. If, if you don't know who uh, Forrest Gump is, shame on you. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you know that it's it's kind of funny. All these uh, historic moments in, in our nation's uh, history, it's like seems like just Forrest Gump would show up. Whether it's the, the the March on Washington for with Dr. King, or or if it's the Vietnam War, or if it's receiving the Congressional Medal of Honor, there's all these historic moments where just Forrest seems to show up, and and that's. Philip Morrow, like uh, so, for example, uh, he was aboard the USS Carpathia um, when uh, they, that ship was in the region when the the Titanic went down, and so the USS Carpathia with Philip Morrow on it, they actually picked up the survivors of the Titanic, and unfortunately, uh, uh, Leo DiCaprio did not make it. Okay, and how many know there was room uh, for him uh, on the door that that Rose was floating on? That's neither here nor there, and. So get this, Philip Morrow, he also wrote the legal briefs for the Scopes Monkey Trial. And so if you remember, the, the Scopes mon- Monkey Trial was this epic trial. Well, get this, the federal government was going to withhold money from public schools if they taught evolution. Oh, how things have changed, right? And so, so he did that. And then last but not least, get this, he witnessed... Uh, to Thomas Edison. I mean, this this dude. I mean, he, he held a, a, over a thousand patents, invited the uh, invented the light bulb, and he had uh, Philip Morrow's like, no man, hey, that light bulb thing is awesome, and you need Jesus. <laughs> and so that's Philip Morrow. Uh, and so he he actually wrote uh, several pieces, but there's one I want to focus on is a quote uh, from a chapter of a book uh, just called Living in the Word, and, and Philip Morrow is touching on the reality. That there's something about the Word of God that is is alive. It's living and active. It says it it displays these these signs of life. And so let me read to you this quote uh, from Philip Morrow. Uh, He says this. um, He says about the Word. It has a perennial freshness. It is non-obsolete and always contemporary. It is indestructible. It is a discerner, a critic of hearts and minds. It is remarkably translatable. It lodges in hearts and grows. It transforms other life. And uh, I want to spend much of our time this morning uh, just unpacking these words uh, of Philip Morrow. And I I think you, you can't deny, man, that there's something, the Word of God, the Bible, it's living and it's alive. And so I love he begins by saying this, uh, that the Bible, it has a perennial freshness to it. 
like like it's it's always fresh it's always new and so uh it's funny uh, uh so by the way like like for a, a pro hockey player to read their bible would be like finding a unicorn or an oompa loompa okay it's like you just don't see that and so when i would read my my bible in front of my uh teammates when i was playing in the national hockey league it was kind of shocking to them and but i would always have that bible open and and, and funny one of my teammates uh, walked by me after uh, like i played with him for almost a year and he's He's like, he's like, ads, haven't you finished that book yet? <laughs> I'm like, bro, it doesn't work like that. Man, you just, you can spend your whole life in this book, reading it over and over and you continue to get new things. And how many of you that are familiar with the, uh, reading your Bible, that there's those moments where you've read this verse a million times, but boom, it's like this time it jumps off the page to you. So uh, I'll, I'll share with you really uh, my calling uh, into ministry. I was about 19 years old. Um, I was uh, playing for the, the Hartford Whalers minor league affiliate uh, in Binghamton, New York. Uh, if you have not been to Binghamton, New York, good for you, all right? Uh, and so, uh, anyways, I'm staying in this apartment with, with three other boys, you know, guys on my team. And and uh, listen, to, how many know that there's a smell to boy? And right in our apartment was just nasty, stinky. And But I remember uh, my, my, my uh, roommates would always go out and, you know, party all night. And, and so I was always always uh, up early and man, it was kind of the only quiet time I could get. And I can recall one particular morning I get up and I open up this Bible and I open it up. I can I remember it like it was yesterday, the, the, the sliding glass door as the sun is coming up and I'm, I'm opening up the word and, and I turn and I, I was reading first Timothy chapter four verses 12 to 16. And it says this, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so, so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And it was reading that word where it just, it was like the audible voice of God was speaking to me. And I knew that, that God was calling me into ministry. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. I definitely didn't think I was ever going to be a pastor uh, or a preacher, but here we are, right? Or, or sometimes, man, it's not always like this romantic thing where God calls you into ministry. And uh, sometimes, man, man, the word, it, it can be like a club, right? And so uh, let me read for you uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, get this, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so, I don't know if you caught that, man, but the, man, the word of God, sometimes, man, it, it can be, it can give you a spanking. So as uh, my, for my parents out there, I don't know what weapon of choice you chose. Um, I was always taught you never strike your kid uh, with your hand. And so you, you need some kind of something, be it, man, the, the wooden spoon or the belt. We, we, we would use this little glue stick that would it would sting your, their little booties, you know. And and so, uh, and by the way, if, if you, you're like, hey, we don't, we don't spank our kids. And I would just submit to you, that's why my kids are better than yours. <laughs> so, uh, so anyways, but, uh, but, but here's the story, man, man, the word of God sometimes, man, God can use it to correct, to spank you, if you will. And so, uh, so uh, this is uh, back uh, several years ago, and 
Um, do you know that there was a, there's a, a, there was a loophole uh, in the IRS tax code? And, and here's what it was, is that you could refile your taxes. Uh, you can go back five years. And if you, you can reinvest uh, that, um, uh, the, uh, s- some of your uh, earnings uh, into precious metals. And, and if you do that, uh, you, know, you could do it tax-free. And so, uh, so get this. There was a quote-unquote gold mining company that, that here was the deal. They said, hey, if, if uh, they were dealing with professional athletes, so NFL players, NHL guys, and so I heard about this, and so well, here was the deal. Then the, the gold mining company, they, they would uh, circle back around and give you half of the money that you invested with them. And so uh, I was like, this is amazing, because I, I stood to earn about $2.4 million on this. So I'm like, hallelujah, you know, and I, I do this thing, and so I refiled my taxes. It cost me about five grand to do that refile and, and then uh, be, be, but before I could send the money to the gold mining I every time I opened up my Bible man the, it was like a club where God was just giving it to me he's like the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and I would, I would open up my Bible to another passion be content with what you have I'd open up another one you cannot serve God and man and, and it was just like this club no matter what I was reading man the Holy Spirit was using this book to correct me right and so I can remember it as clear as day it was just like a pouty baby I'm like fine I won't do it and invest the money in the gold mining thing and and so uh, I, I wound up at just uh, so I was just out five grand for the, the refiling process and and so at the end of the day get this several months after that I get a call from ready the FBI which I gotta admit was kind of cool I was like wow this is the FBI kind of neat and so uh, it turns out man this gold mining thing it was a, it was a scam and it's uh, and, and so lots of uh, people in this gold mining thing they were gonna go to federal prison <laughs> and so uh, how many know I would have had a prison ministry from the inside so hallelujah praise Jesus and so but there's a perennial freshness to the Word of God it's always right and it's always right on time and so um how about this? Uh, Morrow says this, it's also non-obsolete and always contemporary. Non-obsolete and always contemporary. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, uh, the prophet Isaiah says this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Right? It's non-obsolete and always contemporary. There's, In other words, there's no expiration date on the word of God. It's, it's, it's always fresh. It never gets stale, obsolete, or outdated. It just doesn't. So I've shared this story before, but uh, my wife and I were, were traveling uh, somewhere on, on some airlines. And, and so uh, it was funny, there was a, a, the, the, uh, the crew was made up of a, of a younger stewardess. She was kind of the, the captain of the team. And then there was this older lady. Now hear me, she was old. You're like, man, I can't believe she's still a stewardess, right? But the sweetest lady, she was like everybody's grandma, and she's attending to the little kids and, and just paying attention and loving on people, which was sweet, but it was also holding up the rest of the team. And I could see the young stewardess, she's getting aggravated with this woman. And so uh, we're, we're in the air, and they were doing the, the beverage cart service, you know, and, and so uh, the, the older lady forgot to put the brake on the beverage cart. So as we, we, we started uh, uh, climbing a little bit and that beverage cart rolled down the aisle, 
and hit the stewardess right in her rear end. <laughs> she was so aggravated. She stopped. She looks at me and she goes, she just needs to retire. <laughs> and so I just, uh, I thought that was so hilarious, but I can't begin to tell you how many people just think, oh, this Bible, it's just old and outdated. God just needs to retire or, or get with the times, right? And listen, I want to tell you this, man, the word of God, it never goes out of style. It never gets old. It's always uh, um, true because it's truth. And so, uh, so for example, take this. The um, there is an op-ed piece in the Washington Post, and uh, the Washington Post is a very progressive uh, newspaper. And but this article, uh, the, the headline was something like this: uh, "Sex. Uh, we need more." than just consent. And the article went on to say this, hey, it's not just, hey, consent uh, for a sexual relationship. But in doing that, it's inadequate. It says that that people feel unsafe, um, that they don't feel um, like there's a, there's a bond together, there's no mutual respect. And so what's needed is this sense of commitment and responsibility. And, and I'm reading this and I'm thinking, oh, congratulations. You just invented marriage. <laughs> it, see, it's God's idea, and it never goes out of date. Um, the University of Notre Dame did an extensive research program. They actually wrote a book on it called the, the Paradox of Generosity. And here's what they discovered. After all this research and money spent to, to figure this out, they decided that if you'll give a portion of your money away, that you'll be happier, healthier, live longer, like all the human variables for flourishing skyrocket. Hmm. I'm like, I think I've heard of that somewhere. It's in the Bible. It's called tithing, okay? Uh, and then another one, my favorite, was the Wall Street Journal, that they, too, uh, had this extensive piece, and they were writing on, hey, what we've discovered, that if you'll take one day off, you'll unplug from all your electronics and the busyness of life, and you'll just rest, do you know what? All the variables for human flourishing go up, right? You'll live longer, you'll be happier, better mental outlook, so on and so forth. And I'm like, oh, congratulations. The, the Bible could have saved you, uh, uh, you know, lots of money by letting you know, hey, obey the Sabbath, rest on the Sabbath day, right? And so we see all this stuff. We're trying to get away from God, and yet it always brings us back full circle to his ways. Why? Because his ways never get outdated, because it's true, or truth, it never ends. So there's another guy, uh, Chuck Colson, he wrote the book called The Faith, and he shares the story of how, how China observed the prosperity of the United States, and so they sent a team of researchers to figure out why the United States was so prosperous, and, and so they were asking, was it their military system? Was it their economic system? Was it their political system? Was it their, their government? Uh, all these different things, and the answer was no, 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 and they boiled it down to one thing. It was the United States Christians, Christian underpinnings. You see what happens is, is the Christian underpinnings, it undergirded and uplifted our military system, our education system, our government system, our political system, all of it. And now do you notice today, now that we're trying to get away from God in our Christian roots and underpinnings and what's happening, all of these institutions now are beginning to crumble, right? Because God's word is never obsolete and it's always contemporary. Um, number three is this, um, the word of God, it is indestructible. It's indestructible. Matthew chapter 24 in verse 35, it says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. My words will not pass away. And so uh, uh, I've heard it said this way, man, that, that the Bible, man, it, it's like a nail. 
the harder you hit it, man, the deeper uh, it goes. And so uh, there's a, a French philosopher uh, by the name of Voltaire, and Voltaire was an enlightened thinker and, and not a Jesus guy. In fact, he said this about Jesus. Uh, he said that Jesus was the cursed wretch. And he had this bold, audacious uh, uh, statement that he made uh, in 1776. I'll, I'll read it to you. Uh, it says this, uh, Voltaire says, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible in the earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. And get this, 100 years later, Voltaire was dead and his own house and press were being used to print and store Bibles by the G Geneva Bible Society. Swing miss Voltaire. Man, you're long dead and gone. And get this, do you know that they estimate that there's some five to seven billion, with a B, uh, Bibles in print uh, in the earth today. That's not including now all of our digital uh, modes uh, of Bible. And so, uh, Voltaire, swing and a miss, buddy. And then, um, and for the record, man, throughout uh, the millennia, there have been like like arrogant slash brilliant people that have tried to disprove uh, the Bible. And, and instead, what they wind up doing uh, is, is submitting to the Bible. Like, so for example, I'll give you Lee Strobel. He, he worked for the Chicago Tribune as an in, uh, investigative reporter, and he was going to disprove uh, the Bible. And by the time he was done, he wrote what? the case for Christ, that there's a guy, Josh McDowell, he too, in his arrogant thinking was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to show that this Christianity and the, and the word of God is just some made up farce uh, to, to, for ignorant people. And by the time he was done, he wound up writing this uh, um, uh, evidence that demands a verdict. He was a defender of the word of God and the Christian faith. But, but by far my favorite is I'm a groupie. There's this guy, uh, C.S. Lewis. Clive Staples Lewis, his friends called him Jack, which is weird to me, but you know, here we go. And so Lewis, if you know his story, um, he, he was an atheist. Uh, he was a professor uh, of medieval literature at, in Oxford. And, but here's the, the problem. All of his friends and fellow professors, they were all Christians. They were Christ followers. And so, so after school, they, they would go to the pub and they would smoke pipes and drink ale. And they would discuss medieval uh, literature as a group of friends. And, uh, and get this. Uh, one day, one of his friends, a man you know, J.R. Tolkien, one of the other professors there. Remember, Lord of the Rings. Uh, uh, he told... Uh, Lewis this. He says, uh, he says, Lewis, you know, the Bible, uh, it's not a myth, but I'll restate it. He says, this book, it's a myth that's true. And for whatever reason, man, that's stuck in the heart uh, of C.S. Lewis. And it says, man, he wrestled with it for days until uh, he finally, he submitted, he gave his life over to Christ. And he said, he said, I'd become uh, the most reluctant convert uh, in all of England, right? Uh, there's a, a, another great uh, spiritual leader, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was called the Prince of Preachers. And I want to read a quote for you that, that Spurgeon says about the Word of God. He says, the Word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend himself. And so, uh, so let, let me share the story. of the, There's a man by the name of Augustine. Uh, he was a, a, a drunkard, a, a sex fiend, and a party animal. Uh, not a Christian. Christian, but he was also a brilliant thinker, and he would mock Christianity, publicly debate Christians, and make them look foolish, right? And so, but, but here's what Augustine, his mom was a Christian, 
And she was on her face, Monica, uh, praying uh, for her son's salvation. And then one day walking through a park, uh, he heard a, a child singing what seemed to be a nursery rhyme, take up and read, take up and read. And, and in the same way, man, it got stuck in his head. And he's like, take up and read, take up and read. And he felt compelled. Maybe I should take up and read the Bible. And he did what many of us do. He did like Bible roulette. And he just, he just uh, stuck his finger onto a page. And here's what it stuck on. Romans chapter 13. 13, verses 13 and 14. It reads like this. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. And with those words, man, this living word, it was like, man, the lion was released and the lion got him. And Augustine uh, would become a Christian. And not only that, one of the greatest thinkers uh, uh, and church fathers uh, our faith has ever known. And so uh, um, here's uh, number four is this. Uh, Philip Morrow says that the word of God, is, it is a discerner, a critic of hearts and minds. And so uh, in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, it says this. Uh, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and a discerning, a discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, and so if I could just paraphrase uh, the author of Hebrews, uh, what he's saying is, 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 man, the word of God is like a sword and it cuts through all the crap. Sorry to be so blunt to you. And the word of God is going to tell us the truth about who God is and who you are. And so let's look at this, man. The Bible, he's going to, the Bible's going to tell us who God is. And so, so some of you wrongly think that God is some angry old man in the sky with a beard, right? I thought that uh, about God at one point until I got into the book and started reading about God. Man, man, God, he's better than you can ever ever imagine. Like as I read the book, do you know that the first two commands that God gives uh, his creation, Adam and Eve, what, what, what was he going to say, this harsh God? Here's what he says. His first command is this, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, right? The second command that we get is this, eat, eat, enjoy my creation. And the third one is just don't eat from this tree, right? And so we see the, the goodness of God. And then as you begin to read the book, man, you find out that our God is a God who blesses uh, his people. Like he's a blessing God. In fact, uh, uh, the book, it, it begins with blessing. God says, it says in Genesis 1.28, uh, God says, uh, uh, God, and God blessed them. It said, be fruitful and multiply. And then it's also at the end of the book, Jesus references it in Matthew 25, that at the end of time, on the great day of judgment, man, those uh, to his right, he's going to say, come, uh, you who are blessed of my father. See, God is a blessing God. Uh, and some of you need to know that today. And the word tells us about that. But the word also tells us there's some of you that wrongly out there think that God is just a love fairy, right? Uh, just love, 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 whatever you want. Yes, yes, yes. And how many know it, it doesn't work that way? Like a God doesn't just want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy because he is holy. First Peter uh, uh, 1, 15 to 16, it says this, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. See, God loves you and absolutely he wants you to be happy, but not at the expense 
of your holiness. He wants you to be holy. Man, and if he gets you there, I promise you, man, the rest of your life, man, you will be a happy, joy-filled person. Um, uh, the Bible is going to also say other things about God, that he's He's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful, like he's bigger and stronger than your mind could ever fathom. And so I don't care whatever your circumstances is uh, right now or whatever you're going through, God's bigger and God's stronger. Uh, we also read that he's, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. And so, so please, I want you to know this, man. God is near uh, to his people. And, and that can be a good thing uh, or a bad, a terrifying thing, depending on what we're presently doing, <laughs> right? And so, um, so the word, it tells us about who God is, but it also tells us who, who you are and who I am. It tells us who we are. And I would say this, the, the word of God, it's, it's, it's like a mirror, right? And so um, I remember one time I, I was taking uh, uh, the, the camp bus service from New Jersey into uh, Midtown Manhattan to the Port Authority bus terminal. And so it was one of these early morning buses, like 6 a.m. Everyone's still kind of a zombie type of thing. And, and I got my seat and the, the bus was, was quickly filling up as we went to each stop. And, and finally there was one lady that she had to run to make it to the bus and there was one lone seat open my seat and uh next to her and and so she ran in and she she filled in the empty seat uh next to me and and so she immediately after she got on the bus you could tell like her hair was still kind of wet she was a little disheveled but she was undeterred because she took out what looked like this tackle box and she hung it on the chair in front of her and Man, all these cosmetics and paraphernalia, they, they unraveled, and this girl went to work, man. Like, uh, like she started dialing up things, man, makeup on her face, and then she would use her phone, she would reverse it and look at herself like a mirror, and then she would dial other stuff up and do stuff, and by the time we got to Midtown Manhattan, this woman was transformed and looked like a different person. Like, like it, it was so impressive that the, the woman in the aisle next to her, she just looks over to her and she goes, Miss? That was incredible and impressive, right? <laughs> and so, so we could see, but but that's kind of the word of God. That that like that mirror that that woman held up is like as we open up this book, it's going to tell us who we are and let us know, hey, hey, you need to dial up this area of your life. You need to dial down this area uh, of your life. But if you'll do it, if you'll live under the authority of the word of God and have it be a mirror for your life, I promise you, it could be transformative, transformative for your life. And, and you know what else? The world tells the word tells us who we are. It gives us our identity. And listen, if you don't know your identity, I promise you that the devil is having a field day with you. Do you remember Jesus when he was he was baptized and the audible voice of his father was heard? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you remember the first thing the devil did following that that moment? That in the wilderness, as Jesus was fasting, the devil's first question to him was an identity question. If you be the son of God, do X, Y, Z, right? It was an attack, an assault on his identity. But this book, man, it gives us our, our primary identity. And it's this, man, your priority, uh, primary identity, if you're a Christ follower today, is you are a son or a daughter of God. Man, that is your primary identity. And all your other identities, man, they are informed uh, by your primary identity. And so like, like I have all these different secondary identities. Like, like I'm a husband. Um, I'm a father. I'm also a son, right? I'm a brother. I'm a pastor. I'm a man. I'm a former athlete, right? Go on, so on and so forth. There's all these secondary identities that we walk in and we switch hats on, but they're all informed by what? Our primary identity, 
you are beloved child of God, right? And so, uh, and then number five, let's bounce to this, is, is Philip Morrow. He says this, that, that the word of God, it is remarkably translatable. And so here's what you need to see how miraculous the, our Bible is. Like, do you know it was written over a span of 1,500 years? Uh, it was written on three continents, uh, Africa, Asia, and Europe. It was written in, in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Um, and, and so it, it, get this, it has over 40 authors, all of uh, from different ilk, if you will. Like, like there was kings that, that wrote books of your Bible, but there were also fishermen, that, that there, were, there were prophets, uh, and, and what, man, there, there were priests like that wrote the word of God. And so despite the fact, all these different things going on, it's one cohesive story. The story of God reconciling humanity back to himself. It's our story. And so uh, like, the, like this book is unbelievable how it's, it's spanned the millennia, isn't it? So I have uh, Pastor Shino Prater. Uh, he co-chaplains uh, the, the New York Jets alongside of me. And when we ever go out, I'll, I'll introduce us and I'll be like, hey, I'm Adam and, and this is my partner, Shino. And he immediately looks at me in, in despair. He's like, hey, man, don't say I'm your partner, right? And so why? Because that means something different today uh, than it used to mean, right? Um, even there's certain words like like bad used to mean not good, but then it switched to bad meaning good. Now it might have switched back again and mean bad again. I don't know. I'm kind of an old guy, right? But but we can see, man, over time, man, words can change and mean different things. And even geographically, man, you know that things can get lost in the translation. Uh, like, do you know if you go to Greece and you do this to somebody, that's not thumbs up to them. Uh, to them, you're giving them the bird, okay? Um, I know that you can go to London. And uh, I remember one pastor, he was sharing how uh, he was wearing a fanny pack. And, and the congregation, man, they gasped. <gasps> Don't use that word. <laughs> what word? Fanny or pack? And they're like, it's fanny and don't say it ever again, right? It, it means something not good uh, to if you're over in England. And so um, see all these different things. But so many times there could be things that would get lost in the translation. And yet how amazing it that through the millennia, no matter where you go on the planet, this story resonates in the heart of humanity it's this idea of sacrifice, of forgiveness, of redemption and reconciliation. Man, the soul longs for it. And this word, man, it is it has just been wonderfully translatable no matter where you go throughout time, space, or geography. And then I love that he finishes with this, number six. It lodges in hearts and grows. It transforms other life. And so, so I, I mentioned this man, Augustine, and that, that he, was a, he was a sex addict, literally. Uh, he became a Christian, yet was still in the bondage of lust so much. He actually prayed to God, God, make me chaste, just not yet, right? And so he, just, he was just so in bondage and loved lust so much. Uh, but the word of God began to lodge in his heart, along with the moving of the Holy Spirit. And slowly but surely, it began to transform him until uh, that, that his one primary love was his love of Jesus Christ and everything else was a distant second. And Augustine, he actually shares the story of, of, of one of his uh, former hookup uh, girls in, in, in Italy. He, he met her and she, she tapped him on the shoulder and whispered in his ear, uh, Augustine, it is I. And he turned around to see her and he, he said these words, yes, but it is no longer I. He had been a, change, a changed man. 
the chains of lust had fallen off him and he was able to say yes to God and no to his lusts. And so, um, man, it, it, the, the word of God, it lodges in your heart and transforms us. And so, um, let me, I'm going I'm to begin to close here. That's different than closing. And, uh, but I, but I, wanna, I need to have a little asterisk or a disclaimer. And so uh, many of you know, if you've been a part of our Every Nation Church, that the Trinity of Guy movies is, is uh, 300, Gladiator, and Braveheart. And, and so there's this scene uh, in Braveheart when young William Wallace, as a, as a little boy, uh, his uncle comes to take him and raise him as his own. And, and, and young Wallace, he sees uh, his uncle's sword. And as a, you can imagine, as a boy, you see his eyes just light up. And he's like, oh, this thing's amazing. And, and his uncle immediately takes it from him. And he says this. He says, first, uh, you need to use, learn how to use this. Then I'll teach you how to use this the sword, right? And I, I guess that's my appeal today is, uh, man, do you know that Paul, he calls the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And he had this young protege uh, named Timothy, and he's going to say a similar thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Right. And so so what Paul is saying, there's a, a right and a wrong way to handle the word of truth or your Bible. So uh, theologians uh, call it hermeneutics, uh, not Herman Munster or anything like that. Sorry, dad joke. But hermeneutics, it, it just simply means rules for interpreting the Bible. And so uh, it, it, I love I read one quote. And I, I thought this was so helpful is this is um, uh, we don't simply read the Bible literally, but we read it rightly. Right. We don't simply read the Bible literally. We read, read it rightly. And so here, here's what I mean. Like when you approach the word of God, you got to ask yourself. So there's 66 books in here, uh, but all one story. But you got to ask yourself, man, what genre of book am I reading in my Bible? Because there's all kinds of different ones. It's like a library in there. Like, like there's books of history. That would be uh, books like Genesis and Exodus and Samuel and Kings. There's books of prophecy like Isaiah, Daniel. There's there's books of poetry, uh, right? Where where we get that's where you get the Psalms. There there's these poetic writings. There's books of wisdom. That's where we get uh, books like Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes. There's even uh, apocalyptical uh, or writings, uh, and that would be bo- a book like Revelation. And so all of these different genres, you need to approach them knowing what genre it is, so so you know uh, kind of how to approach it. So obviously we approach history, uh, and we read that differently than we read poetry, correct? Uh, we, we would read uh, a wisdom literature uh, a little bit differently than we would say the Song of Psalms, right? And so it's, it's, we need to understand what genre am I reading? And then the other one is this, um, the, uh, the biblical authors, they may also use like different literary tools. So for example, like, like they, they'll use metaphor, um, they'll, they'll use uh, hyperbole, man, they, Jesus is going to often use parables. And, and so to understand what the author is trying to do and what literary tools he's using. So I'll give you, a, for example, how this could be, become problematic. So like take hyperbole, right? You're speaking in extremes in order to communicate a point. And uh, so Jesus spoke in hyperbole. That, that there was one, he says, hey, if your hand causes you to sin, then you need to cut it off, 
right? And so how many know he's speaking in hyperbole? But if you don't know that, do you know that one of the early church fathers, he struggled with lust? And so uh, his name is Origen, and he cut his business off, right? And so, man, talking about swinging and miss, man, don't read it literally. Read it rightly. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. Uh, here's another one. is a metaphor. So, for example, and the, the psalmist, he'll say this, that we find rest and refuge under the shadow of his wings. But, uh, but, but, but that doesn't mean that God has wings, uh, because we know this from the Bible, that God is spirit, right? And so uh, you, when you approach the scripture, you have to ask yourself this question, uh, is what I'm reading, is it descriptive or prescriptive? That's unbelievably important because, man, there, there's Christians that do uh, some really uh, bad things in the book, and that doesn't mean it's okay. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like, so Solomon, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> it's not uh, prescriptive. It's descriptive. Um, and then last but not least, I'll, I'll say this. Context matters. I'm going to say it again for emphasis. Context matters. So, um um, I actually had uh, someone in my church in Manhattan that, um, man, she was the executive producer for this show. You might have heard of it. Uh, say yes to the dress, right? Say yes to the dress. And, and she was the executive producer. And she told me this. She says, uh, she says, Pastor, do you know that, that uh, we just get all this footage um, uh, of people and, and the mothers and the mother-in-laws and the bride? And, and then she goes, and then I can make that footage say whatever I want. He says, I can make the mother-in-law look like Mother Teresa, or I can make her look like a fork-tongued uh, serpent, right? And so, so that, that's what she has the power to do. And, and I got news for you. I can make this Bible say crazy things by just pulling verses out of their context. I can make this Bible say stuff um, that is just not true. And so you have to be aware of what is the context uh, of the text that I'm reading uh, in the scriptures. So, so take, for example, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. This always frustrates me. Like I'll see like Christians quote this verse, or they'll put it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt and say, man, isn't this awesome? awesome. It's Habakkuk 1, 5, when God says to the prophet Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe it if told. And so like, like Christians are putting this on their shirts. Hey, dum-dum, do you know what God's talking about? This great things that you would never believe it, even if it was told to you? That God's going to send uh, the Babylonians in to absolutely destroy Judah. That's the great thing. And it's not a great thing. All right. So, so context, it, it matters. And uh, I'm going to close, and this is an official close <laughs> right now with, with really what my, my heart is uh, over you and the B Bible is this, man, I want you to stormproof your life. And so uh, I think we have an image coming up, but, but in October uh, 17th, uh, 2018, Hurricane Michael, a category five hurricane uh, uh, made landfall in the Florida panhandle. And, and get this, it devastated the Florida panhandle. Like there was $8.1 billion worth of damage. And I think you can see in this image, like all these homes were leveled, but this, this one home, it, it stood unscathed, right? And that home, it was actually constructed uh, by Dr. LeBron Lackey. And uh, he actually, he built this home. He called it the Sand Palace. But after looking at this, you should have called this home the rock, right? Because it, it was just never going to move despite what storm came. And, and, and he said he built this home uh, with one question in mind. What would survive the quote unquote B 
big one. And so he did everything over and above code. Uh, I think the code was uh, for 120 mile per hour winds. He built it for 240 mile per hour winds. Uh, the code called for, for wood studs. He says, uh-uh, we're going to use concrete and re uh, rebar uh, in it. And so this home, it was built on a rock. And when the storm came, it survived. And do you know that Jesus, uh, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, uh, he's going to culminate this epic sermon with this one big idea, and I want to leave it with you uh, today. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And so, man, I, I love that, man, the doctor, uh, Dr. LeBron, what did he do? Man, he built it, uh, man, over code. And yet I see so many Christians, man, build their life and they, they ask stupid questions. Like, man, how little can I give and still have God bless me? Um, how little do I need to go to church uh, in order to not lose heaven, right? Or how close can I get to sinning without actually having God get mad at me, right? We're asking the wrong question, but we need to ask, man, I mean, how can I survive the big one? And Jesus tells us by building our life on the rock, by hearing and doing. And we're going to be a people that hear and do, and we live by this book. The storms may come, but we are not going to be shaken. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for the privilege, man, this time in your word. And God, Lord, I know you've heard my prayer already, that, that, that I pray that people would have eyes to see. Lord, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, Lord, would be present uh, in all of those that, that hear my voice this morning. Lord, and as men and women, by faith, uh, they go to your word. God, I pray that you'd open the eyes of their understanding. And Lord, may, may we build our life on this book in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, come on. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, the sermon's finished, but we're not quite done. Uh, I'm going to remind you that you can be faithful in your tithing and your giving. Uh, I just want to say thank you for those of you that are partnering with us uh, in, in the tithe and in the offering. Um, and there's three ways that you can give. You can go to our website, encnj.org, and just hit the giving icon. Or you can give via text. If you just text the letters ENCNJ to the number 77977, it's a very convenient way to give. It's the way my family and I give. Or you can go old school and mail in your tithe or, or uh, money order right here to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive, right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And may God richly bless you as you're faithful to honor him in your finances. The promise is God is going to honor you. Every nation, Jesus thinks you're, you're amazing. And I think you're pretty good too. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website, emcnj.org.